This is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to the EMBASIC Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about asymptomatic hypertension. Let's start this episode off with a few situations that you will run into sooner or later if you work in the emergency department. Dr. Carroll, the patient with the ankle sprain in bed 2, is being discharged, but they have a blood pressure of 180 over 90. Do we need to give her any meds or do any workup? The patient in bed 5 was sent in by their dentist because their blood pressure was 200 over 100, but he feels fine except for that darn tooth. The patient in bed 6 tells you, I had a headache at home and took my blood pressure, and it was 170 over 90. Am I going to have a stroke? And here's the real kicker. Dr. Carroll, this is the internal clinic calling. This guy has been off his BP meds for months. Can we send him to you for a shot of IV labellol while his PO meds kick in? That one's a true story. Asymptomatic hypertension can be one of the most confusing topics for any beginner in emergency medicine. This is for a bunch of reasons. Differing opinions between EM and other specialties about what to do with these patients, the freakout that occurs when we see impressively high numbers, and the proliferation of the evil devil machines, also known as home blood pressure monitors. The big questions are, how high is too high? What do we mean by asymptomatic? Do these patients need testing in the ED? Do they need admission just because a number on the monitor scares the bejesus out of everyone? These are all reasonable questions, but there are many differing answers and many subtleties to this. What we'll do in this episode is present a rational approach to asymptomatic hypertension, bust some myths, and most importantly, do the right thing for the patient by giving them appropriate care without causing them unnecessary harm. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views or opinions of Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. So, to get started, here's what you need to keep telling yourself whenever you see a high blood pressure without any symptoms. The goal of medicine is to do as little as possible. It was true in the house of God, and it goes double for asymptomatic hypertension. Remember that we treat patients and not numbers. The first step when encountering a high blood pressure in an otherwise asymptomatic patient is to stay calm, take a deep breath, calm the fears of everyone around you, and slow everything way down. The patient doesn't need immediate lowering of their blood pressure. What they need is a good history and physical, with rare and limited testing, and appropriate follow-up. Before we talk about the history and physical, let's talk about the terminology here. When we say asymptomatic hypertension, what we're talking about is a patient with no signs or symptoms of end-organ damage who happens to have an elevated blood pressure. In general, we don't need to lower the blood pressure in these patients in the emergency department. We'll talk more about this later. The opposite of asymptomatic hypertension is hypertensive emergency. This is a patient with end-organ damage, such as a stroke or an aortic dissection with a high blood pressure. In these patients, some physiologic process is causing elevation in the patient's blood pressure, and you will probably have to do something to control that patient's blood pressure. How you accomplish this is a topic for a whole other podcast. What we are talking about today is the patient with high blood pressure with either no complaints or minor complaints related to pain without any signs or symptoms of end-organ damage. We used to define the severity of asymptomatic hypertension by saying that a blood pressure of 180 over 90 or higher was hypertensive urgency. This implied that we had to do something about the patient's blood pressure, but not right away maybe over the course of a few days. Then we defined a hypertensive emergency by a blood pressure of 220 over 110 or higher, whether or not you had symptoms. Now that you have heard the term hypertensive urgency, strike it from your memory. 
It is a useless and outdated term. However, you will still hear it used to justify all sorts of craziness. The urgency part of hypertensive urgency implies that there is some ticking clock to get the patient's blood pressure down, but there isn't, not at all. Let's back up and talk a little bit about the pathophys of hypertension as it relates to your brain. I promise this will be quick and painless, but you need to understand this to understand why quickly lowering the blood pressure is a bad idea. Your brain is a very sensitive organ when it comes to blood pressure. It wants to see the same mean arterial pressure all the time, or else that will cause problems. When your systemic blood pressure rises, your brain compensates by constricting the arterial vessels that lead to the brain slowly over time. This constriction lowers the pressure that is coming to the brain and allows your brain to maintain the same blood pressure all the time. If the patient is asymptomatic, it is likely that the patient has had high blood pressure for weeks, months, or even years. If you lower the patient's blood pressure rapidly, the patient will have an ischemic stroke because their cerebral vessels are still constricted, but now the systemic blood pressure on the supply side is much lower, so there isn't enough blood flow to perfuse the brain. So to sum this up, rapid lowering of asymptomatic high blood pressure equals stroke. We used to give people strokes by giving them crazy things like sublingual nifedipine for their asymptomatic hypertension. So the Velociraptor wants to know, if rapidly lowering high blood pressure in asymptomatic patients is bad, why are patients sent to the emergency department for it? Hmm. Now that we have that established, let's talk about how to approach these patients in the ED. The first step, after slowing down and taking a deep breath, is to take a good history and do a good physical exam to make sure that the patient is truly asymptomatic with their hypertension. Start by asking the patient what caused them to check their blood pressure. Were they having a headache at home? Were they feeling fine at their local pharmacy and they got freaked out by a high number? Did another provider send the patient in for their asymptomatic hypertension? Follow these questions by a good review of systems, starting with neurosymptoms such as motor weakness, acute vision changes, slurred speech, ataxia, or new sensory deficits. Ask the patient if they're having any chest pain or shortness of breath or dyspnea on exertion. Ask the patient if they have noticed any blood in their urine. Make sure that the patient is truly asymptomatic. If you find something worrisome in the review of systems, such as chest pain or possible stroke symptoms, then go down that diagnostic algorithm and do that particular workup. Once you have made sure that the patient's review of systems is truly negative, you have now narrowed this down to patients with hypertension that are truly asymptomatic. Let's talk about the patient with headache and high blood pressure. Many times I see patients who are at home, develop a headache, check their blood pressure on that cursed machine, and come to the ED more freaked out about their blood pressure than their headache. Let's bust a myth here. High blood pressure, in and of itself, does not cause headache. Not a little, not at all. It's a giant myth. There is no plausible explanation for why this would happen from a physiologic basis, and it's been debunked in the literature. What happens is that the patient has a headache, which causes pain, which raises their blood pressure, not the other way around. Now here's the trick about headache. You need to make sure that this does not represent a dangerous kind of headache. You need to do a history and physical to make sure that this is not a stroke or a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Remember the questions to ask for subarachnoid hemorrhage. Was this headache sudden and onset, maximal and onset, or the worst headache of the patient's life? But don't ask the patient directly whether this is the worst headache of their life 
because that's a loaded question. Instead, ask them how does it compare to other headaches that they've had in the past. To rule out stroke, ask about the red flags such as slurred speech, motor weakness, facial droop, or ataxia. Then do a complete and thorough neuro exam, including walking the patient. If the patient has a headache that's just like their usual headache, with no red flags, and a normal neuro exam, then don't treat the patient's blood pressure. Treat their headache, and you will see their blood pressure come down. If the patient has exam findings or symptoms suggestive of a stroke or subarachnoid hemorrhage, then go down that diagnostic pathway. The same thing goes for epistaxis. Repeat after me. High blood pressure does not cause epistaxis. It just doesn't happen, so strike that from your memory. If you control the epistaxis, then you'll most likely see the blood pressure come down. The patient most likely has hypertension at baseline, and they are nervous about all the blood coming from their nose. Now you have a patient that has a non-worrisome history and physical with no red flags. The next step is to do nothing. Absolutely nothing. You can pretty much be done with your workup right there. I don't care if the patient's blood pressure is 220 over 110. If they are truly asymptomatic, with no issues, then what they need is a gradual lowering of their blood pressure on an outpatient basis over the next few days to weeks to maybe even months. Remember that the patient's blood pressure rose slowly over time, so it should be lowered just as slowly. In fact, that is pretty much a good rule of thumb for anything in medicine. If a bad thing happens slowly over time, it should be fixed in a slow manner as well. If something bad happens suddenly, it needs to be corrected rapidly. The question that usually comes up is, do we need to go searching for end organ damage? Shouldn't we check an EKG to check for cardiac issues or labs for renal function? I mean, those are end organs that can be damaged, right? So do we need to do any workup in these patients? The answer is usually no, with some caveats. The clinical practice guideline from the American College of Emergency Physicians on acutely elevated blood pressure in the ED states that routine lab testing is not necessary in patients with asymptomatic hypertension in the ED. So you are free to discharge these patients back to their primary care doctor for outpatient control of their blood pressure. However, we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the patient. If you have any nagging suspicion that the patient may be at risk for cardiac issues, a screening EKG will likely be unrevealing and low yield, but somewhat reasonable. If everyone in the patient's family is on dialysis by the time they are 20 years old and the patient is 25, then checking a chemistry panel for renal function is reasonable as well. However, routine testing in these patients is not indicated has been consistently shown not to affect management or any important patient-related outcomes. The other major thing to consider is how well the patient can access their primary care doctor. Can the patient see their PCP tomorrow, or do they not have a PCP and will take months to get plugged into a free clinic? You have to address this issue because this is where you may consider doing some testing and or starting oral hypertension medications from the emergency department. If the patient can get in to see their PCP quickly, you don't have to start medications, or you can even try to call their PCP and ask what their preference would be in regards to starting a medication and what medication they would prefer. If the patient can't get in to see their PCP in a timely manner, you should check a basic metabolic panel before you start any medications. You'll want to know the patient's sodium level, potassium level, and creatinine before you start any hypertension meds to keep the patient safe. Although the newest JNC-8 guidelines were not made for the emergency department, 
I think they represent a reasonable starting point for therapy. JNC7 put a lot of stress on starting with diuretics, but younger people really don't like the frequent urination that comes with those medications. The JNC8 guidelines have left some more wiggle room in saying that initial therapy can be with a thiazide diuretic like hydrochlorothiazide or ACE inhibitors, ARBs, or calcium channel blockers. For black patients, thiazide diuretics or calcium channel blockers are the preferred first-line agent. If I'm going to start medications from the ED in younger patients, I prefer lisinopril because it is well-tolerated and it doesn't have the side effect of frequent urination that is associated with diuretics. I usually start the patient on 10 mg of lisinopril once a day. If I choose to go with the thiazide, I usually start 25 mg of HCTZ once a day. Before you write the prescription, check a chemistry panel. If the patient has an abnormal creatinine, then don't start lisinopril. Same goes for an abnormal sodium for HCTZ. If you start lisinopril, you have to warn the patient about the side effect of dry cough and, most importantly, angioedema. What I usually tell patients is that the lisinopril can cause a dry, hacking cough that can start either immediately or after years of taking the medication. You also have to warn them to go to the ED if they have swollen lips or airway swelling that could indicate angioedema. While this is a rare complication, it can be life-threatening if it's severe, so you have to warn the patient about it. If you choose to start hypertension meds from the ED, give the patient just enough medication to get to their PCP. This generally means not giving more than 14 days worth of medications. You don't want to be prescribing 90 days of medications, or else the patient will never follow up with their PCP. This isn't being mean, this is being realistic and letting the patient know how important it is to follow up with their PCP. Finally, let's talk about one final issue. Is there a blood pressure that is too high to not treat? What if the patient's BP is 300 over 200, but they feel completely fine? First, let me ask a question. What do you think is the highest blood pressure ever recorded? Go on and take a guess. Is it 300 over 200? 350 over 250? Close, but no cigar. The highest recorded blood pressure I could find in the literature was 480 over 350, and this was in healthy volunteers. Granted, these were experienced bodybuilders, but still, that is impressive. In this study, they put an arterial line in the volunteers and then had them doing double leg presses. The highest recorded blood pressure in one individual while doing a Valsalva during the double leg press was 480 over 350. I will put a link in the show notes, and I highly recommend checking out the studies in PubMed that link to the study, because you will see blood pressures that you never thought were possible. Now that one situation has little in common with the patient in bed 2, who is lying in bed with a BP of 220 over 110, but it points out a fact I think that we often forget. The human body is capable of great swings in blood pressure without causing harm. We do activities every day that cause rapid rises in blood pressure. We lift heavy objects, we bang our knee on the table, and other activities that I won't talk about here. These all cause a blood pressure spike, but they don't cause us harm. So what's the bottom line here? Is there any one blood pressure threshold that should trigger admission just by itself? The academic answer is a firm no. That being said, in my experience, the patients with the higher blood pressures, let's say over 240 systolic, usually have some other complaint wrong with them that would otherwise trigger an admission. The key here is that with very few exceptions, 
these patients don't need their blood pressure lowered rapidly. Who exactly needs their blood pressure lowered and by how much is another topic for another podcast. Today we are just talking about those with asymptomatic hypertension. Finally, make sure to have a conversation with the patient and calm their fears. A lot of times, patients are scared that something bad will happen to them. Help them put their mind at ease. Explain that their blood pressure has likely been elevated for a long time, and they are not going to have a stroke just because a number looks scary. Let them know that we worry about blood pressure in the long term, as in months to years to decades, not minute to minute. Tell them that if they feel fine, then there's no need to worry about that number on the machine. Also make sure not to brush off these patients and roll your eyes at them because that can be the temptation. While asymptomatic hypertension is not everyone's favorite chart in the rack, you have a real opportunity here to educate the patient, calm their fears, and get them on the right track. You and the patient can have a very satisfying encounter if you look at this as your chance to teach the patient about their hypertension and reassure them that they are doing just fine. As always, give good discharge instructions and let them know to come back if they have any chest pain, shortness of breath, or any signs or symptoms of a stroke. If you present all of this calmly and show that you care about the patient's concerns and aren't just kicking them out of the ED without a plan, the patient will leave happy with a minimal amount of testing and worry. Before we go, let's review all the major points one more time. First, the goal in all of this is our goal always. First, do no harm. Take a deep breath. Calm down the patient and any staff that are hyped up and take a good history. Find out exactly what had the patient come to the ED. Did they check their blood pressure at the pharmacy and get freaked out? Were they having any symptoms such as a headache? What exactly caused them to come to the ED? Next, do a very thorough review of systems. Ask if the patient has any chest pain, shortness of breath, dipsy on exertion, slurred speech, headache, acute vision changes, motor weakness, sensory changes, or any blood in their urine. This is a good screening for end organ damage by history. Next, do a thorough exam, including a neuro exam, where you walk the patient. If you find any worrisome history or physical exam findings that prompt further workup on their own, like chest pain or slurred speech, then go down that diagnostic pathway. One word of caution about headaches. Patients will often come in saying that they had a headache they checked their blood pressure and it was high. For these patients, take a good history on the headache. Was it sudden in onset, maximal at onset, or the worst of their life? For the worst of their life question, ask how it compares to other headaches they've had before. Also to make sure to ask about stroke symptoms, like slurred speech or motor weakness. If the headache has red flags for subarachnoid hemorrhage or stroke, work them up for that. If there are no red flags, then treat the headache and you will see the blood pressure come down. If the patient is truly asymptomatic with their hypertension, you should do rare and limited lab testing. ASEP says that routine lab testing is not indicated. You should only do lab testing if you're going to start the patient on outpatient medications or if something in the history has you concerned. If you are planning to start outpatient blood pressure medicines, you should get a basic chemistry panel to check electrolytes. A high creatinine, or a low sodium can rule out certain medications. Urine testing is very low yield for proteinuria. You do not have to start medications out of the ED, especially if the patient has good primary care follow-up, but you should consider doing this if the patient can't get plugged into primary care in a timely manner. The JNC-8 gives the option of starting ACE inhibitors, ARBs, 
thiazides, or calcium channel blockers as initial therapy, except in black patients who should start on a thiazide or calcium channel blocker. Younger patients won't like the frequent urination from the diuretics, so I like to start lisinopril 10 mg daily. HCTZ can be started at 25 mg daily. Give the patient no more than a 14-day supply to encourage outpatient follow-up. If you're able to talk to the patient's PCP, you can coordinate what medications to start the patient on, if any, and arrange to get those initial labs done in the ED. Before I sign off, I want to refer you to some further reading on this by the very well-done blog, Short Coats in EM, by Dr. Lauren Westerfer. She published an excellent post on asymptomatic hypertension about a year ago, and has some great references that you can use to dive deeper on the subject. I'll post a link in the show notes. I'll also post a link to emoutdates.com by Dr. Ruben Strayer, who also has a great post on this topic. That's all I have for now on asymptomatic hypertension. I hope you found this useful, since this was a very confusing topic for me when I first started out. If you can get this right as a medical student or intern, you will look like a rock star, because you won't believe all the crazy things I have seen done with asymptomatic hypertension. Clonidine, anyone? Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the EM Basic Podcast, signing off.